Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the 2A Lifestyle Podcast. I want to greatly appreciate and thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Just uh, go and get through the house rules of the podcast before we get started. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, if you can, leave us a rating. It is the best way for other people to find our podcast when they're looking for 2A and firearms and gun-related material or wherever they're listening to podcasts. Also, if you haven't already, go ahead and check out our social media. We have a Facebook page. We have a pretty fucking awesome Facebook page. We are about to hit 10,000 followers there. And we also have an Instagram page. Uh, on Facebook, it is the number 2A Lifestyle. And on Instagram, it's 2 spelled out, T-W-O-A Lifestyle. Also, go ahead and check out our Patreon. Uh, we have a Patreon program for those that wish to support the show. We are over the limit to where uh, you guys pay for the bandwidth for this podcast. So basically anything after this uh, is going straight back to y'all. And speaking of that, uh, we are now officially having some merch. Uh, If you haven't, go ahead and check out our Facebook and Instagram page. It is both posted on there. We have stickers. We also have hats. And for the Big Luau, a.k.a. the Boogaloo, we have a Hawaiian shirt with the awesome face on the palm trees. It is pretty fucking awesome. Uh, I was going to go ahead and submit an order. Uh, We're going to actually get an e-store up. Uh, It's probably going to be linked to our Facebook page, but we actually are going to get an e-store set up. But we have enough interest in the shirts that we are going to go ahead and have an order in. I was going to go ahead and put in the order today, but because we are having such an interest, and it's a three-day weekend, so they're probably not going to ship, ship the shit until Tuesday, and I uh, wanted to go ahead and let it be known on the podcast. Uh, if you haven't, go ahead and check it out. Check it out. It's on our Facebook page. If you want a shirt, uh, go take a look at it. If you order it for the shirt from us, it's $30 bucks, uh, plus $4 shipping, so only a total of $34. Uh, I've seen some other cool tactical-type sh- you know, Hawaiian shirts from like OEF Nation and shit like that. That stuff's like $40, $50, bucks, so it's a pretty good steal. Uh, on the hats, we are trying to get an order of 12 uh, until we get the e-store set up. That's the best way we can get the prices. If we can get those uh, order of 12, uh, those are only going to be $20 plus $4 shipping. So that's the best way to, to go ahead and if you want to represent the, the show, uh, we have some cool looking merch. Also, uh, like I said, we're going to have an e-store getting set up. We're going to have some more t-shirts and shit like that set up. So go ahead, uh, you know, check out our Patreon, check out our merchandise. Uh, go ahead, support the show, uh, and just, you know, fucking support us wherever you go. Support us at gun shows. Uh, I'm actually going to be at a precision rifle, well, not a precision rifle, but a rifle competition uh, by Ash Hess uh, in southwest Georgia the first week of October. So if you are looking to, to you know, do a little rifle match and you're going to be near the southwest corner of Georgia, uh, just go ahead and fucking check it out. I'm going to be there uh, along with uh, some other social media pages and shit like that. So check us out. All right, folks, let's go ahead and start getting onto this fucking show and start getting into this fucking pile of shit that we call the 2A Lifestyle Podcast. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Girl, you 
just don't realize what you do to me when you hold me in your arms so tight you let me know everything's alright All right, ladies and gents, we're going to go ahead and start getting off into some news that's been happening on kind of in the firearms and gun world uh, that we all so love to take a part in. If you are a part of the Latter-day Saints church, uh, you sure know that you are not supposed to carry your firearms in there anymore. Uh, After a new law in Texas stating that anybody can carry in their place of worship legally, uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints has come out and stated that they firmly rule that any firearms or other deadly weapons i.e. knives, shit like that, are not allowed in their buildings unless you are a law enforcement officer. So no guns and no lethal weapons for any of the congregants, period. Uh, this, Like I said, this is coming in light of Texas's new law taking into place. So the Church of Latter-day Saints just decided to go ahead and say, hey, no fucking guns. Just to be clear. Yeah, it's not against the law anymore, but it's against the Mormon law. But I think this is pretty interesting because I have a, a pretty good gun friend. Uh, He is a humongous uh, gun nut like myself, and he is a strong Mormon. Um, And if you know any Mormons, uh, and you know, I know they don't technically like to be called Mormons. They like to be called, you know, people that go to the LDS or whatever the fuck it's called. Um, However you say it, but you know, Mormons basically. They, uh, you know, a lot of them are gun people. A lot of, you know, the the Mormon belief kind of steers towards like gun ownership, gun proficiency, uh, prepping, uh, uh, survivalism, that kind of stuff. You know, the the heart of Mormonism says you need prepared for the end times. So you need to have like, you know, food stores and shit like that on hand. So the fact that the Church of Latter-day Saints came out with this was a little surprising to me because, uh, you know, again, it's just not something that I would have expected to come out of there. They're a very conservative, uh, very fundamental church. I mean, shit, they did not allow black people to, to step inside their temples until 1978. Look, that shit up. Uh, it's pretty fucking crazy. Um, so, I mean, they are very, very conservative, I guess you could say. Almost, uh, like, rusted, uh, not wanting to to spin with, you know, catch up to the times kind of conservative. So, that was uh, pretty, you know, pretty crazy thinking, I thought. Um, you know, if there's any Mormons out there, any people that go to the LDS, followers of the LDS faith, uh, you know, reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram uh, and, just, you know, tell me what you think. What do people uh, that go to, you know, LDS churches think about this, you know, is this something that's going to prevent them from actually caring? Because you know, every person I've been met that's you know an LDS, they're very firm followers of their faith. So the fact that they actually have to now either choose between going against their church beliefs or wanting to protect themselves is it's kind of a, a fucking conundrum. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Probably reach out to my buddy. Uh, he actually used to write for uh, I think it was the Farms blog. Uh, so might actually reach out to him and see what he says about this. Uh, And if you keep up with this show at all, you will know that I am pretty fucking I am on the NRA's nuts on the bullshit that they pull and the fact that uh, Wayne LaPierre is still the, uh, you know, executive vice president of the NRA just fucking infuriates me. And the likes of Marion Hammer and Charlie Cotton and Willis Lee and all them fucking bitches on the board of directors are still actively fucking leaders in the NRA. It just boggles my mind and the fact that they've had seven board of directors resign since the meeting in April uh, 
because of the ineptness and physical, uh, you know, I guess unrestraint or no restraint or just be, you know, acting like a, a fucking drunk sailor pulled up in port wasting a paycheck uh, and how they spend money, it just blows my mind. But if you keep up with Save the Second, which is a great organization, it is run by members of the NRA that want to save the NRA and they want to actually, uh, you know, reform the NRA to where it could become an effective organization again to fight for our Second Amendment rights. And actually, they've started their own podcast. I suggest that you go check them out. They are trying to get on to uh, like iTunes and shit like that. But right now that they are only on uh, YouTube and they're only on their Facebook page. So go check out Save the Second. Uh, they have you know very much notated this. But there's supposed to be a board of directors meeting coming up in September that uh, they were going to go to to try and lobby board members uh, to or they were going to try and have a bylaw passed. And uh, this fucking meeting was going to be in Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. So they were going to pay for all the board of directors and the staff, everybody that needed to go to these meetings to fly up there to Anchorage, Alaska. And this article actually comes from Amaland. It was posted August 29th uh, by Jeff Knox. And the lead, uh, the title states, NRA leaders bail on Alaska board meeting. Oh, excuse me, adventure. And, uh, you know, it stated that the original plans for the meeting in Alaska was going to include fishing excursions, cruises, and other such non-mission critical activities. But these extracurricular plans were canceled after members raised a, a hue and cry about costs. Weird wording, but yeah. Especially in light of reports of the association's maxed out lines of credit and negative net worth bolstered by a flood of fundraising letters claiming that the association is on the verge of bankruptcy, so send money now. And this is something that on Save the Seconds uh, social media that people are always posting about. They're stating that the NRA is constantly sending them fucking letters stating that, you know, you need to send us money. We are on the verge of bankruptcy. We're on the verge of being shut down because we don't have enough money because Bloomberg's agents are doing whatever they can to try and keep the NRA, you know, from being an effective Second Amendment advocate, which it's actually Wayne LaPierre and his ilk uh, that are keeping the NRA from being an effective uh, Second Amendment advocate. So they are constantly, constantly, constantly begging for money. And, you know, you see all the time on social media, uh, people that are wanting the NRA to reform, that they are constantly saying not any one more cent, not one more cent until Wayne LaPierre's gone. And that is, you know, that's something that the NRA needs to notice. That's that's something they need to notice. So. Um, but the article continues to go on. It says the whole idea of holding the meeting in Alaska was challenged, but those objections were rebuffed with claims that it cost little more to fly directors to Anchorage and much less to house them in local hotels there, as opposed to flight flights and housing uh, for them in Northern Virginia. Of course, that does not include the cost of transporting and housing a number of NRA staff who live in Virginia and wouldn't need flights or hotels if the meeting were held there. But when a director raised the issue with the NRA treasurer and secretary back in May, he was informed that canceling reservations in Alaska would cost the association almost $100,000. So, you had the NRA back in May said, hey, we're going to go ahead and have this fucking cool board of directors meeting in Alaska. We're going to make it a cool vacation for a board of directors and we're going to have all this shit out there. And they went ahead and I'm assuming put down deposits to you know, uh, reserve, you know, because you got to reserve whole swaths of hotels and conference rooms and shit like that because you're going to have, you know, they planned on having 76 people out there. Plus, like they said, you got to have all the support staff for the NRA and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so, you know, you have the NRA doing all that. Which, by the way, the NRA already has these pre-designated
designated like hotels and lodging areas in Northern Virginia for their board members whenever there's a board of directors meeting out there. So that was a bunch of horse shit that they were uh, notating in the article. Uh, but, you know, now they're canceling all the shit and they're still going to have to fly all these board of directors and shit out to Northern Virginia. But they just pissed away $100,000 on reservations and shit like that in Anchorage, Alaska, which they clearly were going to have a bunch of other stuff done there, like cruises, like it said, fish, fishing adventures, all that other kind of stuff. Uh, you know, hey, by the way, we're in Alaska, so we might as well just go and have a good time uh, while we're out here on members' money and dimes uh, from their, their dues and shit. Uh, so you have that. And the NRA is saying that the reason they're going to do it is because there's a bunch of gun control legislation coming up and they need to have uh, all available members there that can lobby to fight against gun control. But, you know, the 69 members of the board of directors that are left, they are, you know, majority, if not nearly all, are not lobbyists. Because you have to be a registered and paid lobbyist to lobby Congress. And if you don't, that's how your ass gets thrown in jail. And there's, you know, very few, uh, you know, that are like that. And mostly the only people that the article states that are like that is Wayne LaPierre and the people around Wayne LaPierre. So the real reason is it, you know, Wayne LaPierre decided, hey, I'm not going to, you know, fly all these people to fucking Alaska because I need to lobby all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, Wayne LaPierre, if you are, I don't know, it, it just hurts my head. I've preached on this over and over. You know, Wayne LaPierre thinks he is the only thing that he is, you know, God's gift to the NRA and the Second Amendment. And he thinks that, you know, we need to just bow to his demands and pressure and do whatever he says. And that's just a bunch of horseshit. And the sooner that the NRA is rid of Wayne LaPierre, the better. And we can start getting our financial house back in order. And we can start focusing more on the actual tenets of the Second Amendment, which is uh, preservation of our lifestyle, not only just in Congress, but in training and education and stop isolating other people that are for Second Amendment, but might not be considered politically in line with everything else that the NRA pushes. Uh, you know, Democrat can be, you know, pro-gun rights as well. So uh, that's just, you know, me kind of getting off my soapbox on that. And let's start getting into the main, uh, well, I'm sorry, before we get started, I do want to mention this. Uh, and this kind of hits close to home. Um, there was another mass murder in West Texas. And this is actually the part of Texas where I am uh, was born. Uh, this is where damn near all my family still lives. Uh, this occurred in Midland, Odessa. And, uh, you know, if you know, if you ever seen the movie or the TV show Friday Night Lights, this is where it's based off of. Uh, but this actually occurred uh, just, what was it? I think it was Friday. Friday or yesterday. Uh, this just occurred. Uh, and I'm not going to mention the name of this asshole. Uh, he is identified. But he killed seven people and wounded 22 others. Uh, and he used a modern sporting rifle. And they haven't said anything about his motives. Uh, basically, just the fact that he was pulled over for failure to signal. Uh, he lost his shit. And when he lost his shit, he started shooting at the state troopers. Uh, he was pulled over by Texas state troopers, which is if you are in uh, West Texas, you know, basically anything uh, west of Wichita Falls and Dallas and north of like San Antonio, El Paso, uh, all that, there's really not a fucking thing out there except for Lubbock and Amarillo. And, uh, you know, unless you get into the actual like cities, which Midland Odessa is, is fairly good sized cities for West Texas, um, but still like the majority of your law enforcement out there is Texas state troopers. Uh, so he was pulled over by a Texas state trooper in Midland Saturday for failing to signal. And then he began to shoot at the Texas 
state trooper using an AR type weapon, of course, is what this is coming from CNN. Um, and, uh, you know, so he started using a modern sporting rifle. Uh, he drove about 20 miles uh, to Odessa, which, you know, Midland Odessa like, are the two largest cities in that area. So they're kind of synonymous with each other, uh, even though it says 20 miles away for a lot of people that might think that's a good bit of ways. Uh, but they're pretty synonymous with each other because those are the only two big cities out there. Uh, so he drove to Odessa, ditched his car, stole a mail van, a mail truck, basically, and started shooting people just randomly driving around. Uh, he finally was confronted in movie theater parking lot uh, where his piece of shit life was ended. And uh, he is no longer with us. Uh, thank God. Not using the resources of air and other things uh, to fucking keep his prick ass alive. So there, and it's, there's not much else being stated. Uh, if you, if you've heard anything, I, I, you know, honestly, I've heard it when it first happened and uh, you know, I want looked up again before I started this podcast episode. Uh, there's really nothing on him. Uh, you know, they state that he was arrested twice uh, back around 2001 for criminal trespassing and evading arrest. And then he had a traffic citation last year. And then they looked up his fucking uh, social media and he was on LinkedIn for a truck driver and he had one uh, public post back from like 2012. So not really much of a, of a digital footprint for this piece of shit. Uh, there's been no motive. Uh, the victims range from 15 to 15, 57. Um, you know, and I'm kind of surprised this being West Texas, uh, being Texas in general, but especially West Texas, because a lot of fucking people have, you know, rifles, shotguns, shit like that, just driving around with them. Uh, I'm surprised nobody tried to defend themselves. Uh, you know, the fact that it took uh, police to uh, kind of corner him in a movie theater parking lot and finally take his ass out. Uh, it's kind of surprising. I-, I figured, you know, a good Samaritan would have, you know, stood up and, and you know, used their Second Amendment rights that they have, because uh, a lot of people carry out there. But, um, you know, it just goes to show that being this, you know, a Second Amendment supporter nowadays, it's not a guarantee that, you know, you are going to uh, have the benefit of the doubt with anything. And of course, in this article, uh, the FBI, you know, spokesman uh, goes to say that, you know, it seems like the FBI is using their resources at least once a week or once every other week for some sort of active shooter. And, you know, I understand that uh, there is a mental health problem in this country. It's not necessarily a gun problem, but there is definitely a mental mental health problem because this guy obviously was fucking batshit crazy. I mean, there was something wrong with him. Uh, I'm interested to see what his motive was behind this. Um, there's, Like I said, there's not a whole lot that has come out before it, and I haven't heard anything uh, from you know relatives or anything like that out there to as to why this happened. Uh, this is probably, um, it's going to be swept under the rug because it's obviously, if it had fit a narrative uh, for the liberal media to push gun control, they would have done it already, uh, but that has not happened yet, so there's probably, you know, just a, a crazy nut who probably wasn't supposed to have that to begin with, and he just decided to go into a shooting rampage when this all occurred. Uh, so, very sad. Uh, definitely pray for the victims or whatever the fuck you do, good vibes, whatever the fuck you do uh, for the victims out there. Like I said, this is, uh, I was actually born in Midland. Uh, that's where I was born. So, uh, I still have tons of family out there. So, you know, definitely keep, you know, West Texas in your prayers and just fucking, you know, carry with you all day. Uh, last week, we posted a meme series called the Tactical Ten Commandments. Um, and one of them on there was, you know, learn to treat bullet holes as well as give them. And, you know, how many of these lives could have been saved if there was a, you know, a bystander that had medical gear in their EDC, which is another one of those Tactical Ten Commandments I posted in that meme series. Um, you know, and th- that was a very serious meme series. And, you know, if somebody had a 
had medical in their EDC, if they had had some sort of training to stop blood loss and to try and, and help these people, would they be alive? Uh, would it be fewer victims? Uh, that's something uh, that's, you know, you never know, but definitely if that was the case, there would have been heroes like that would have been, you know, published in the news as saying, you know, this person saved a life. And that's what you, we need to do as a Second Amendment community as well, is that you are more likely to use your medical gear, uh, not even just necessarily for a mass uh, killing like this, but you more likely to use your medical gear in a car accident, you know, uh, just simple shit like that. So, you know, fucking carry medical gear in your EDC and get some sort of medical training. So that way, when it comes time for you to use your medical EDC, that you'll know how to use it and you can help, or, you know, protect and save lives. All right, this next section that I'm going to go over is actually a pretty interesting series. Uh, it started on August 12th and it has continued up until this past week. Uh, and this actually has come from Amalan. And I want to give credit to the author. The author of this series is by Logan Matish. And it is titled The End of the Winchester Browning Alliance. And it's a three, it was a three-part series that was published on Amalan. And if you've heard in the podcast before, I am a humongous history nerd. I actually got my undergrad in history. I wanted to be a history teacher, but that didn't shit work out. So I became a law enforcement officer. And uh, But I still love history. And if you put history and guns together, I just nearly cream my fucking pants. Uh, so when I first started seeing this series, I kept up with it. And I was kind of waiting for it to finish. And I wanted to you know, put it on the podcast. So if you don't like history history uh fast forward maybe about 20 30 minutes and you'll just fucking bear through it uh to get to the rest of it if you just want to stop the podcast right here see you bitches in two weeks uh but this is a pretty interesting uh little bit of history uh if you if you don't know who john moses browning is go fucking fix yourself right now and it's kind of funny because uh talking about the mormon church earlier john moses browning was actually a mormon uh that's something that my gun buddy that's a mormon he likes to uh notice you know kind of point out all the time is that you know one of the greatest history historical figures of the Second Amendment and the gun world? John Moses Browning is a Mormon, but he uh, is universally understood as one of those people in the gun world that kind that that is like you know a founding father, I guess you could say. Uh, he created the 1911. He created a lot of iconic firearms, and he created a lot of mechanisms that brought firearms to where they they are today. Uh, and for the longest time, John Moses. Browning worked exclusively for Winchester and more exclusively for, you know, in 17 years that he was making and uh, coming up with, with guns, he sold 44 different gun patents to Winchester uh, in the late 17th and early 20th centuries. So you got to think, in 17 years, John Moses Browning and his brother, they sold 44 different gun patents to, uh, you know, Winchester. So you got to think, all during that time, Winchester was just fucking killing it with farms innovation. And actually, uh, the 1886 rifle, uh, lever action rifle that, you know, people say iconically won the West, um, you know, that firearm was designed by John Moses Browning. So uh, basically what happened was, and this is kind of, you know, the beginning of the end of Winchester uh, and the rise of such companies as Fabrique Nationale and Remington and shit like that. Uh, but Browning basically was tired of getting fucked around. Uh, I think he was just kind of getting on into his later age. He was in his early to mid 40s uh, around this time and around 1898 where he said you know, I'm tired of getting fucked around. There's this one particular design of shotgun that he was in the process of designing that he was doing for Winchester.
Rochester. And he finally decided, you know, I put a lot of fucking time into this this design, into this patent. I'm going to go to Winchester myself. I'm going to talk to T. Bennett and I'm going to say, you know what? I've put a lot of fucking effort into this design and I think we need to up the price for this design because, you know, Browning, he would just sell the design of the gun to Winchester and he wouldn't get any royalty fees. I mean, think how many fucking lever action Winchester revivals, uh, uh, lever action Winchester rifles that Winchester actually made. Uh, and John Moses Browning did not see a penny of that. He just got his one-time fee up front and that was it, you know, and, you know, for 44 gun patents over 17 years, I'm sure, you know, some of those were kind of duds in the eyes of Winchester, uh, but, you know, Browning got paid anyway. But then you got to think how many amazing designs John Moses Browning has made over the years and how many of those have been replicated and he did not get any set of royalties. So it kind of worked out in the you know detriment of John Moses Browning in the end. So in 1898, the two men worked on a gun design specific back and forth until Browning had reached his breaking point after Bennett had failed to make a commitment to the design after years of working on it. Later in life, John Moses Browning Lincoln likened his reaching to the end of, the, of his rope to one of those Yellowstone geysers that take a while to get hot enough to blow. To settle the matter, once and for all, John Moses Browning left his home in Ogden, Utah, and went to the Winchester factory in New Haven, Connecticut, to meet with Bennett. And all the previous dealings between Bennett and Browning, dating back to their first in 1883, the price John named was accepted, and that was the end of it. Winchester would take out the patents in Browning's name, and they were free to make the guns and profit off the design. As his notoriety as one of the most accomplished gun designers grew, Browning began dealing with other companies that all agreed to a royalty-based system of compensation. Bennett protested, the two men exchanged words, and Browning collected his guns from the company drafting room and left. That was it. That was the, I mean, right there, that was the end of the Winchester Browning Alliance and Agreement. And the gun that John Moses Browning was going over was the A5 semi-automatic shotgun. So just to kind of think that, you know, I mean, right around the turn of the 20th century is when this gun was made. And just to let you know, this gun stopped being produced in 1998. So this gun was nearly produced for a hundred years okay that is fucking astounding it's it's an incredible just to think of that all right and that was just and all that right there that was just in the first part going into the second part of this all right john mosa browning was undeterred by that meeting his confidence in the design of a semi-automatic shotgun was high and he knew that any other manufacturer would be happy to produce it exactly what manufacturer though was yet to be determined even though fabrique national which if you know anything about fabrique national and browning which later became its own gun company. They both designed the Browning High Power Pistol. So the fact that Fabrique National was willing to make this was not, you know, not too far of a fetch. You know, John Moses Browning knew that he could go over to FN in Europe and get his gun designed. But John Moses Browning at the time, he wanted to keep things American. So even though they have already been producing his semi-automatic pistols with great success, John's preference was to keep the production of the shotgun on this side of the Atlantic. On January 8, 1902, John reached out to Marcellus Hartley, president of Remington, to gauge his interest in what John called the automatic shotgun. He was enthused. He told him to come by that very afternoon. Now, this is a little bit of a fucking twist, and this is crazy. And I'm going to kind of read verbatim what he said. Browning arrived a bit early for his meeting and was told to have a seat. Mr. Hartley would arrive shortly. After an hour of waiting, the telephone rang, and George Bingham, Mr. Hartley's secretary, took the call. When George hung up the phone, Browning noticed that he was as white as a ghost. In quotation,
quotations in the article. It says, I have sad news for you, Mr. Browning. Mr. Hartley died of a heart attack a few minutes ago. Just to think, I mean, a little bit of something like that just changed kind of the firearms industry forever. Uh, the fact that he just happened to so just die minutes before meeting with John Moses Browning, where he was, you know, on board to produce this shotgun. And, you know, who knows if Remington would have bought this patent from John Moses Browning. Maybe they would have started a new partnership, which they kind of did start a partnership later on. Uh, as Remington, you will see in this article, goes on to make the some of these shotguns on the American side after a uh, import, uh, importation embargo by the United States for firearms. So uh, Remington does get a little bit of the cake, a uh, piece of the pie, but they you know don't get the main chunk. They don't become the baker, so to speak. So you know if Remington would have done this, maybe Remington wouldn't be the piece of shit company it is today. You know the the American Outdoors company or whatever the fuck that all that bullshit you know Remington makes nowadays. You know Remington 700 used to be the golden uh, you know Mercedes model of bolt action firearms, but now not so much. I mean you can have Tika, you know you have all the Ruger, uh, Savage, all those other companies making really awesome bolt action rifles. When it used to be the Remington 700 platform was the Mercedes, the Rolls Royce, the Bentleys uh, of bolt action uh, platforms for rifles. So you know if that would have not happened, you could have had Remington bought this design from John Moses Browning. John Moses Browning probably would have went to go to work for Remington designing all these firearms and you would have had all these, you know, when you think of a, a Browning uh, A2 machine gun or a Browning automatic rifle, it might have been a Remington automatic rifle or a Remington machine gun. Uh, you know, just to think all of the different designs that John Moses Browning started and continued to make later on in, in his life uh, could have been uh, sold and manufactured through Remington and they would have been, you know, the powerhouse uh, pretty much of what today is, you know, who knows? It, it could have been, again, it could have been a whole different ball game than what it is today. And I always love alternative fictions and the what ifs and all that kind of shit. So, but going on into the story, just like that, John Moses Browning decided, Hey, you know what? Remington and Winchester were really the big names at the time. Uh, Smith and Wesson was still kind of um, up and coming, uh, but they were still, you know, really known for the revolvers and that kind of stuff. Weren't really breaking out into rifles, shotguns, that kind of stuff. So John Moses Browning went over to Fabrique National for the first time. He went over the Atlantic at 45 years old and over the next 24 years John would spend a total of 18 months of his life on the Atlantic Ocean traveling to Europe so within the first four to six weeks of meeting with uh, Henry Frenet of Fabrique National a contract was signed where he got his finally got his fucking royalty agreement uh, but this gave FN the exclusive world rights to make and sell the shotgun but as part of his agreement John was supposed to take 10,000 shotguns which is a hell of a, a hell of a fucking order a hell of a, a of a fucking you know detachment in the agreement saying hey you know I give you exclusive rights and all this kind of stuff but hey give me 10,000 shotguns so I can go to the US and sell this because you got to think of the capital that it was going to take to make those to give to John he was going to have to go to the US with this brand new shotgun design that he just came up with uh, that was turned down by Winchester you know for those that might not have known the, the actual story would happen at Remington maybe it looked like Remington turned it down uh, so he's taken 10,000 of these brand new unproven automatic shotgun semi-automatic shotguns to the u.s and just like john browning not only being a great designer and inventor of different firearms and firearms technologies he's also a great salesman and he sold all 10,000 of those auto semi-automatic shotguns within a year because of this though of the 
import tariffs in 1904, uh, he finally set up a uh, agreement with Fabrique Nationale to where that a U.S. company would make and sell them in the United States. And this is where Remington came back in. And FN agreed. You know, FN was going to get a, a piece of the pie. They were going to give Remington exclusive rights to make and sell the semi-automatic shotguns in the United States. Uh, so that's uh, going on into that. And that's how it began to, you know, like I said, if you go look up the Browning, a, or the Browning A5 shotgun, I mean, you still see some of these shotguns in pawn shops, gun shows. Uh, you see them, uh, you know, like if you go to your, you know, hell, your dad's, your granddad's, you know, gun cabinet, you, you still might see these shotguns there. These shotguns stopped being made in 1998. So uh, the fact that, you know, and it might be a Fabrique Nationale, it might be a Browning, it might be a Remington, you know, the design was made by all three companies. So, and let me tell you, this is where kind of the story kind of gets interesting because Mr. Bennett and others at Washington see that they made a big fucking mistake. And that's where it starts going into part three of this series. And like I said, this is a great fucking series. I would actually love for this, like, you know, I know NRA TV isn't a thing. And something that I really liked about NRA TV was the museum at the NRA museum, you know, that little show that they had where they did historical shit. Because again, me being a huge history nerd, I to geek out on this shit. So going into part three, uh, this was mentioned in part two, but the success of John Moses Browning's Auto 5 shotgun as produced by Fabrique Nationale did not set well with T.G. Bennett at Winchester. And actually, Winchester created a letter that became public, and it's actually fucking, you know, still available, and it is posted at the Cody's Firearms Museum. It's called the Winchester and Browning's Breakup Letter. And, and you know, it's got that in big fucking letters. It's pretty funny. It says, you know, the win the, the letter goes to, it was actually signed, Winchester Repeating Arms Company. And on letterhead, noting Bennett as the president, it was explained that for years they had bought everything which Browning invented, which had merit, whether we used it or not. By 1902, however, Browning had become rather high-priced, and Winchester had to let him go as a result. Unfortunately, the letter does not end there. It goes on to say that John and his brothers felt that they were the only people who could invent guns, and that they alone knew what the public wanted in terms of new arms. Well, yeah, that's kind of fucking true, because they created some of the greatest firearms in the beginning of the 20th century. And shit, we still use some of their, uh, you know, fucking firearms in the military today, you know? Uh, you still have uh, the fucking uh, 50 cal machine gun, you still have the 1911 still being circulated worldwide, uh, and like I said, you had this Browning A5 being used up till about 22 years ago. So, in the article, it continues to go that Browning's designs reached a point where they could be manufactured successfully. Winchester then claimed that the Browning 1886 lever action rifle was more largely the invention of Mr. Mason, and that all Browning contributed were the locking features only. So, he gets so fucking petty that he goes to belittle his contributions to the firearms industry, and he says, yeah, you know, he was on the fucking team that created the, the 1886 lever action rifle, but, you know, he only did the locking mechanism. He, you know, didn't really invent anything else part of it, but, you know, if you know anything kind of about the lever action rifles, the locking mechanism is pretty fucking important part of the fucking rifle. And as a final blow, Winchester said that we shall be perfectly able to get along without the Brownings and shall probably be better off without them than with them. On the other hand, we do not believe that they will get along as well without us as they did with us. And history would show that this was not the case when the production of the Auto 5, again, like I said, ended in 1998 and more than 2.7 million had been made. And that's not including the hundreds of thousands more made under the license of Remington and Savage. So that 
2.7 was only those that were made by Fabrique National. And like it said, you know, Remington, Browning, and Savage continue to make their own Browning Auto A5 shotguns. So that is my history nerdism. Uh, it is it is a great read, and there's a whole hell of a lot more to go into it. John Moses Browning is a very fabulous and crazy historical character. If you want to go look up into him, uh, that would be some a great actually be that'd be a great book to go over into the culture segment someday. Um, but go check out that article. It's on MLN. It's a three part series. They just finished the third part this past week, and it's a great series. Like I said, I personally enjoyed it. I uh, kept up with it when it was going through, and I said, you know, when this fucking series is over with, I'm going to talk about it. And you know, y'all might not like it, but like I said, the history nerd to me really enjoys it. So let's start getting on into the firearm news and reviews. Alright, we're going to go ahead and start getting into the gun news and reviews segment of the podcast. And uh, we're going to have a couple things to talk about. Uh, some shit that's pretty interesting. Uh, this is kind of gun news uh, and kind of reviews. Chinese makes a piece of shit parts. And if you've decided to order some Wish.com shit, guess what? It's probably not coming. Because the U.S. Customs and Border Protection last week announced they intercepted and seized 52,601 firearms parts in violation of the Chinese arms embargo. Uh, the total parts uh, estimate was was 378000 which I think is probably a little generous knowing how much shit is charged on Wish.com. And all this kind of shit included sights, stocks, brakes, buffer kits, and grips that were shipped in three batches along Los Angeles and Long Beach Seaport. Now, we can thank this bullshit ban uh, from China that was put in place under Bill Clinton in 1994. That was part of the gun bill because around, it's uh, the article says, one-third of all guns and more than half of rifles brought into the U.S. from overseas each year came from China. This actually comes from uh, guns.com. It was published on the 26th of this month, and the fucking uh, title of it was called Customs Puts the Crimp on Banned Gun Parts from China. Now, I'm kind of interested because the article itself says that it was a ban on firearms coming from China, but it said nothing about gun parts. Uh, so I'm assuming it was probably more kind of of a co- copyright infringement, I'm thinking, because if you look at all that shit on like Wish.com and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's you know fake Magpul shit. Uh, it looks like the Magpul uh, fucking symbol, but the top stuff is kind of uh, a little bit you know skewed a little bit further down to where it looks more like a T and Instead of kind of like the fucking, I guess you could say, radiological sign or whatever that Magpul kind of looks like. Um, and, you know, fucking ACOG, you know, it says APOG or whatever the kind of shit. Uh, all that, you know, the fake shit that, you know, you buy off Wish.com and all that kind of stuff. And if you bought some selectors from Wish.com, uh, your shit has been seized and it's probably going to have a little knock from the ATF coming to your door wanting to know why you're buying that shit still after it's already been put out there that they will come and 
and fucking put you in jail for that shit. So that's that news article. Uh, this one is actually uh, from Recoil.com, and it's talk about uh, Mars Inc. and Cobalt Kinetics submitted uh, their fucking next generation squad weapons uh, rifles to the squad weapons program that the Army did. And if you're not familiar, the Army is looking to replace uh, the M uh, M4 and M249 uh, squad automatic weapon with a new design. And actually, they're looking for a new cartridge. Uh, besides uh, reduced recoil, uh, they're wanting to try and have a fucking uh, rifle that reaches out uh, to a thousand yards uh, and still keep that one MOA. So this is, uh, you know, it's definitely going to come with a new fucking uh, round. You know, the 308, uh, the 762 by 51, it's not going to cut it. Uh, it's pretty heavy uh, and it's also kind of a fat round. Uh, if you're shooting out to a thousand rounds, you're really going to be arcing that bitch. The 556 uh, does not have enough energy once it reaches out that far. Uh, if it even can, even if it's like super hyped up, uh, it's such a small projectile. So this particular uh, fucking rifle that they're submitting, it almost looks kind of like an AR-10 because it has a really thick magazine, but they're actually coming out with a 6.8 short magnum. Uh, and this is pretty interesting because the 6.8 short magnum, uh, it basically fires 140 grain, 270 caliber bullet at 3,200 feet per second. Uh, it almost kind of looks like a 6.8 um, fucking, uh, I can't remember the name of that fucking, um, you know, the 6.8 Grendel, but it's a little bit bigger bullet, it looks like anyway. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, and they are both submitting a uh, fucking 18 inch and a 13 inch. So it's going to be, like I said, replacing the M4 and it's going to be replacing, looking for something to replace the 249. Uh, but this is interesting because this has a shifted pulse recoil. And in the article, it states the recoil impulse is effectively distributed over time while its speed is reduced by a spring and buffer system before the stroke is complete. So uh, it's a little bit different than the direct pigment and all that other kind of shit. Uh, besides reduced recoil, there are many other advantages to the long recoil semi-auto operation. No gas escapes from the barrel into the action of this rifle with full auto capability, runs as clean as any bolt action while operating with the suppressor. The long recoil system actually runs more reliably and with less recoil than unsuppressed. So that's really interesting because a lot of uh, you know the new warfighter uh, things that are coming out suppressors are becoming more of a thing especially since they're becoming uh, quieter uh, they're becoming so uh, you know there's so much innovation in the suppressor market because the civilian market is really taking a huge hankering for suppressors uh, in the firearms community so the fact that it says it actually runs better with a suppressor than without a suppressor uh, but also it's supposedly a lot cleaner um, you know it's supposed to be a lot cleaner than you know the direct uh, gas and pigment or even a piston system uh, it also like I said uh, they're developing a 13-barreled lightweight carbine and an 18-barreled light machine gun uh, for testing. So uh, another thing that they're doing that I'm not a huge fan of that the article goes into is it, you know, it's got like almost like a built-in battery with it. Uh, it supplies a whole bunch of shit. And, you know, if you want to add all this electronic shit, uh, especially to a weapon for the military, that's fine. But don't have it integrally, integ I cannot fucking say that word, integrally integrated into the rifle itself because, uh, you know, when shit breaks down, that's just not good for the soldier, the marine, uh, or the sailor that you know has their life depending on that rifle. Uh, you know, fucking leave the machine simple, and if you want to add all that shit later on, uh, do that. But it should not, you know, affect the fucking uh, rifle itself. 
this is uh, something else. Uh, it's I'm putting it into the gear review because um, you know we have uh, reviewed the Flatline Fiber uh, Earpro head wraps, uh, but this is actually another article, and it says DIY improvements uh, for your Howard Light Import Spac Impact Sport electronic ear protection. Fuck, I cannot talk today. Sorry about that. Uh, but this is a pretty interesting article that was actually put out by Amelan, and uh, you know Howard Lights. Those are some of the most popular electronic ear protections out there uh, but there are definitely some shortcomings to it uh, you know you want to have the electronic hearing uh, with something that is not going to give you know if you're, especially if you're out on the range all day you get headaches you know that shit starts hurting your head because it feels like something constantly lightly squeezing you all that kind of shit uh, there are some drawbacks uh, definitely the ear cups the stock ear cups are a little bit of what kind of feels like vinyl uh, it's filled with a really shitty foam um, and actually Howard Light actually recommends that you replace these every six months uh, and for the actual stock uh, ear cups they're about 15 to 20 dollars a year uh, something else is there's a ton of dead space if you ever actually open the uh, inside of your ear cups there's a lot of dead space in there so that's where you know it can a lot of sound can kind of echo through that dead space into your hearing something you can do and if uh, if you're looking for pictures like I said go look it up on Amaland uh, is if you can actually take off the foam around your ear cover pop off the little plastic uh, that holds the little foam piece down over the actual electronic speakers uh, on the inside and you'll see all that dead space something you can do is get like some kind of like some foam uh, some like squeezable foam uh, tear it into small pieces and you can actually lay it inside there to kind of you know take up a lot of that dead space something that's gonna fucking just kind of I guess muffle the the sound in that dead space you can actually fill it up with like uh, some hot glue or uh, you know some other shit like you can kind of tape it down around the corners and you know if you're afraid that when you put that foam in there and you put the little plastic piece with the, the foam cover that goes over it on top of it if it's not going to go over well you can put a little like hot glue to kind of keep it in there uh, and then something else that you can do uh, is you can add some noise fighters uh, to replace that shitty uh, vinyl piece of shit foam kind of uh, covering over your ears uh, and these are actually really cool uh, they run in between like 40 to 50 bucks uh, but what's really nice is that they're actually made of like a super nice gel and they have a really nice channel over the top of your ear pro uh, where your actually your glasses can go so your eye pro can sit on top of there and if anybody that's been at the range for a really long time and you wear eye pro like you're supposed to uh, you can definitely understand that when you wear ear pro that goes over your ear like that and you wear eye pro that your eye pro you're either gonna have it fucking cockeyed tilted at a weird ass angle to where the little rung that goes behind your ears is on top of your ear pro or you're gonna have your ear pro over your eye pro on the little spot that runs uh, on top of your ears and that can kind of get uncomfortable over time so uh, it's got the little channel uh, where your ear pro or your eye pro can sit on top of your ear pro and it's very much you know very very more comfortable uh, they last a really long time they last a hell of a lot longer than the re recommended six months of replacement that uh, you know Howard Light actually recommends that you change them and then of course like I said go check out Flatline uh, Fiber uh, they are great ear pro wraps uh, we did a review on them earlier uh, a few episodes ago uh, I got two of them now I got one of my uh, ear pro I got one of my son's ear pro uh, we both got our names on them you know they got like little name tape straps up top but also what's really cool about it uh, is it's also got like a little and there's actually some that you can get with it is some you can get without it but there's actually something that you can uh, have attached on the top to where you can like clip it to a belt loop pa uh, belt loop or if you have some range pants that has the little you know small d-ring on the front you can clip it to that d 
D-ring. So that way, you know, you don't have to have that stupid gay uh, little ear pro thing that, you know, sometimes I see when I go to USPSA competitions, you know, you actually see some guys, they will actually have a little clip on their fucking belt for the ear pro. You don't have to have that. Uh, and it's, you know, something that can easily be tucked in. Like I said, I've, you know, when I did my reviews on them, I wore them uh, for my department qualifications. My department qualifications requires some running and shit like that. Uh, so doing that, you know, I was thinking, you know, maybe this thing will fall out, all that kind of stuff. And I'm an instructor, so I got to run up there uh, on the range with the guys while they're qualifying so I can make sure everybody's doing shit safe and all that kind of stuff. So I was doing several iterations of the qualification and it never came loose. Uh, so those are definitely some some good improvements that you can do to your Howard lights. Like I said, everybody, you know, it's the most popular electronic uh, earring protection out there. They're, you, know, you can get them for around 50 bucks. Uh, a couple months ago, actually probably like three or four months ago now, I saw where Amazon actually had them on sale for around 30 bucks. I should have probably picked up a couple then myself just so I can have some spares because uh, the one of the ones I got right now, getting a short in one of the ears. Uh, and then, like I said, you know, that's actually the one my son uses because he saw the ones I had and he liked to, you know, you can have him listen to people pretty well without, you know, still, you know, have, losing your hearing, all that kind of shit. So, all right, fuckers, let's start getting into the culture segment and let's start wrapping this shit up. Ladies and gents, I said last episode that we're going to class this up with the book, but you know what? I am going to go the absolute fucking opposite, and I'm going to talk about one of the most stupidest, cheesiest action movies that is fun to watch just because of how stupid it really is, but it has got a lot of fucking gunplay in it, and that movie is called Shoot 'em Up. If you haven't seen this, this is kind of like when Clive Owen was really big into a lot of different movies. This was released in 2007, and it is a way-the-fuck, over-the-top, shoot-em-up movie. Hence the fucking name of the movie is Shoot-em-up. Clive Owen is a hitman or some shit, and he actually kills somebody with a fucking carrot. Yes, you heard it. And there's a lot of fucking, you know, uh, Bugs Bunny, uh, corny-ass jokes in there. It's also got Paul Giamatti in it. Uh, and he plays a weird, you know, evil character and shit. Uh, but there are a fuck ton of guns in this uh, because it is a well over the top gun movie. So we're going to be talking about some of the guns. And I'm talking about some of the guns in there because, you know, of course, we're using the Internet uh, Movie Firearms Database. And there is a fuck ton of different guns in there. Uh, but we're going to be talking about some of the special ones. Of course, uh, there's a Walther PPK in there. Uh, of course, a Magnum Research Desert Eagle Mark uh, 14. There's a couple different uh, Taurus PT-92s. Uh, there is a Glock 17, but what's cool about it is there's a Glock 17 Special. Uh, and what is special about it is that it has a thumb safety. 
Don't really see a whole lot of Glock 17s with thumb safety, but they had one in there with this movie. So that's something that's pretty interesting. Uh, again, same thing. They have a Beretta 92 because what gun movies really don't have a Beretta 92? But again, they have a special in this one. One of the Berettas is actually an armorer uh, Charles Taylor's weapons. Uh, it is, you know, seen among that. It's pretty cool. Uh, and going further into it, they have a Sig P226. Again, very common, very common gun that they have. Uh, there's a uh, fucking Sig 228. There's the HK USPS 9. There's HK USP Expert. There is a Para Ordnance Night Tech in there. And that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, cool looking 1911 type gun. It's actually got Hammerson uh, written on there. Uh, you also have uh, Para Ordnance Nighthog, uh, Hetchler Cox P7, Browning, Smith and Wessons, G2000s. Colts, Ruger KP90, stuff like that. You have some uh, Smith & Wesson revolvers. Of course, you have some HK Umps uh, 45. Of course, the HK MP5s. Some Uzis. Uh, when you start getting into the rifles, you have a Remington 700, uh, HK 36, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, there's there's a shit ton of guns in this in this movie. I mean, it is all about shooting. But I'm telling you, some of the stuff in there is so ridiculous. You got to check it out. Uh, one of the most ridiculous scenes in that movie is where fucking Clive Owens in a shootout. And they're fighting in some sort. They're shooting it out in some sort of garage. And so he decides to shoot out the oil pan underneath the car. And he does like sliding in a third base completely on his back. And he slides through this oil. And basically it gives him enough slickness to slide throughout the entire garage. And the whole time he's sliding, he's just shooting people on his back. Of course, fucking two-handed style and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a pretty hysterical movie. When I watched it. Uh, I thought, you know, because this came out in 2007, uh, I was pretty young, uh, I think I was like a, a freshman or, or sophomore in college, so, uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, this is kind of a cool action movie, because there's a lot of cool shit coming out of that about that time, when I saw it, I was just fucking laughing so hard, uh, just because the premise was so stupid, it was funny, so check out Shoot 'em Up, it's not really out anywhere, but there's... Uh, plenty of stuff online that you can find it. I'm not telling you to do anything illegal uh, for legal reasons, but there's plenty of avenues for you to find it online. Uh, but again, it's called Shoot 'em Up. Uh, it's got Clive Owen on it, Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti's a great actor, in my opinion. Uh, and there are tons of cool guns uh, shit in there, uh, ridiculous gun shooting scenes, all that kind of stuff. So, all right, let's start wrapping this shit up and start getting into the end of the show.
All right, ladies and gents, I want to greatly appreciate y'all again for listening to another episode of the 2A Lifestyle. If you haven't already, please subscribe to wherever you're uh, listening to this and leave us a review. Again, it is the best way for people to find us. If they're looking for firearms-related content, they're looking for stuff about 2A, 2A Lifestyle, anything uh, on podcasts, wherever you're listening to, whether it be Yahoo, Stitcher, uh, I don't want to fucking said Yahoo, damn almighty. I mean, Google, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, all that kind of stuff. So fucking leave us a review if you would, please. I would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you haven't already, check out our social media. We have a Facebook. It's under 2, the letter 2, or correction, the number 2A lifestyle. We're also under fucking uh, Instagram as 2 spelled out. It's uh, T-W-O-A lifestyle. Also, uh, go ahead, check out our Patreon program. I would greatly appreciate it if you uh, support us on Patreon. Uh, We are, again, Patreon is what pays the bandwidth for the podcast. I'm not ma- looking to make a ton of money off of this. I'm looking to basically just pay the money to have this podcast published to y'all every uh, two weeks. Also looking for anything after that is going to start a video podcast. Uh, we're going to start doing videos here. Also, we're going to be looking into some sort of uh, outlet to where you can ask questions uh, along the way. Uh, and also, we have merch now. We have the Big Luau shirt. We have the hat. We have stickers. Also, we are looking for sponsors and we're looking for people to, to interview. So if you have any suggestions, if you have anybody that you would like to hear on our show, reach out to us. Even better, reach out to them. Say, hey, if you haven't checked out this fucking podcast called 2A Lifestyle, it's a great podcast. It's you know got awesome shit on social media. It's got awesome shit wherever you're listening to podcasts. And uh, just let them know and say, hey, I'd like for you to hear that. Or if you, they got something that you want us to review, say we have uh, a few people that are sending us stuff that we're supposed to be reviewing. Uh, and anything that we get in review uh, and we are, don't have to send back, guess what? We are giving away to you guys, the listeners, and the people that follow us on social media. So please reach out to people that you want us to interview, that you want us, uh, you know, have any gear to review. And hey, you know, speaking about the tragedy in Texas, but saying I am a native Texan, uh, I see you bitches from Texas out there. Uh, that has been the most downloaded state, and, you know, for our podcast this past month. And a close second is California. We fucking feel for you, our brothers and sisters behind enemy lines in a less free state. Uh, hopefully you guys uh, will rise up in enough time uh, and you will have enough pull in the great organizations that are out there because FPC does a lot of great work out there. Cal Guns does a lot of great work out there and you can regain some of your freedoms out there. And then Pennsylvania's out there. Eh, nothing against you guys, but my fucking second ex-wife was from Pennsylvania. So, And I went to Pennsylvania one time and it was an absolute fucking nightmare. I told my fucking cunt of an ex-wife that we are not stopping in Pennsylvania. I don't care if we run out of fucking gas. Uh, We're going to stop for gas in Maryland. I don't give a shit. We're not going back. Not stopping this fucking state anymore. So if you are from Pennsylvania, reach out. Tell me that there's something fucking different out there because unfortunately what I have to go from that is my ex's family and my ex. So, but again, greatly appreciate y'all. Fucking love y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Go check us out on social media. Check us out on Patreon. Check out our merch. And again, I will see you guys in two weeks and until then continue with that 2A lifestyle and just continue to be awesome and representing it. In a little cafe just the other-